You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we chat to Mr. David Ong, founder of the Creator Coffee and Cocktails, Otto, and Edsa Beverage Design Group, all based in the Philippines. Learn how an economics and psychology graduate made his way into the Canadian coffee industry and brought his knowledge and passion back to his hometown of Manila in the Philippines. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. My name is David Ong. I'm from Manila, Philippines. Um, I run a, a few joints there, one being Edsa Beverage Design Group, one being the Curator Coffee and Cocktails, and one being Otto. So thank you very much for finding the time uh, to sit down with us yeah. here in sunny Singapore. We would like to a little bit cover uh, what is it that you did uh, in the past. Uh, we know that you have a strong interest in coffee, and uh, you know there are uh, you have a strong interest in cocktails. But first of all, let's start with the beginnings. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so um, basically, when I was in university, I was in um, Canada, I was in Vancouver, and I was studying economics and psychology. So I finished that. Um, all the while that I was there, I was working part time jobs. And it was in retail at first, so clothes, okay, basically. So eventually, I worked my way into a coffee shop, which was called Blends, a Canadian coffee company. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, another one called Mike Up. So it was really just to learn, you know, operations and stuff like that. And just see, you know, what um, business I could take back to Manila, like if I do decide to move back and, you know, not work abroad for a bit. So that was really what uh, got me started in hospitality. but um. Basically, like uh, before I went home, the plan was uh, to be either a banker or explore hospitality in hotels, actually, because I was working in Shanghai for a year. Um, that was in 2010, and that's actually the time that I got into cocktails as well. Uh, I was celebrating my graduation, supposedly, because I didn't go back to Vancouver to March, and it was in a cocktail bar called El Cocktail. But um, yeah, like uh, it was in Shanghai that uh, I got an offer for Hyatt, like one of the Hyatt hotels over there, so... In Shanghai. Yeah, in Shanghai. Okay. Yeah. So there's either banking or hospitality. Do you speak Chinese? A little bit. Okay. Very little. So yeah. you mentioned like uh, what kind of business I can bring back to Manila. Was going back to Manila on the books from the very get-go or is this something that grew on you later? Definitely. It was, um, it, it was definitely part of the plan because I had been away. At that time, I had been away already for about six, seven years. And, you know, my parents told me, okay, well, do whatever you want. Um. You know, just make sure that you do your best and, you know, come home, like, eventually. But they didn't say, like, when or whatnot. But for me, like, if I were to come home, I'd like to I'd like it to be at my own terms. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing for me, like, looking for opportunities that aren't in Manila just yet. And just, try, you know, trying to do it the best way that we can. So when you decided to go back to Manila, what sort of opportunities have you identified? Yeah, so um, I basically had a five-year goal. And it was definitely in coffee and cocktails. So, how did you fall? In, so you worked in a couple of coffee shops, and what is it yeah. about coffee that made you fall in love with it? Yeah. So uh, to be honest, at first it was just um, just having a good cup of coffee that is better than what was available in Manila. So it wasn't really about specialty coffee yet. And then, uh, when I went back to Vancouver for job hunting in two thousand eleven, that's when I got into specialty coffee. The first specialty coffee shop called Revolver had just opened. Um, and yeah, like, that's when I was like, whoa, like, I thought I knew something, but I didn't. And so that overwhelming feeling that I had 
uh, you know, similarly to El Cocktail in Shanghai, like it just it just took over me really. And you know, the thing about specialty coffee is that it's not just you know ordering an espresso or a latte or you know a black coffee or whatever, but it, you really go to the nitty gritty. You talk about the origins, you know, how it's grown, where it comes from, you know, the terroir, the climate, everything about that, the processing that's involved for each bean, whether it's a natural, a washed, or whatever, and then. You have the roasting aspect, and then you have the, you know, first for baristas when it gets to the shop, it's the actual product. So it's your your main job as a barista is to uh, calibrate these the best way possible so that you can extract the nuances in a you know an espresso or a filter coffee. And so it's just all of these things, um, and just the curiosity you know for them. This specialty coffee shop you mentioned, the Revolver, is it still open? It's still open. Yes, it's in Vancouver. It's in Gastown. And they actually took over the tattoo parlor next door. Okay. And then they turned it into a showroom for stuff that they're selling as well as more seating. But they don't roast their own coffee. Uh, what they do instead is that they get from multiple coffee roasters. So they're multi-roasters. And then um, you're able to extract it as espresso, but mostly uh, as filter. Ah, they so, do yeah. mostly filter coffee. Most. Yes, like if you go, well, they do mostly espresso probably, but like if you go into the shop, the first thing that you will see are um, six cup chemixes that look like our glasses. Uh-huh. And then you'll see metal filters on top and they're all in weighing scales. Everything that they have is pre-dosed. Uh, so it goes straight to, you know, the box grinder. And they, yeah, it's, 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 it's very meticulous actually. Then you, only after that, um, will you see the espresso machine and yeah. It's super cool. And what were you doing there? So I was, uh, so... I was I was studying in Vancouver in UBC and then I worked in Shanghai for a year. So it was me look you know, going back to Vancouver and job hunting. Mm-hmm. Just looking around and figuring out my life basically. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. And uh what do you think? Do you think the market was ready for specialty coffees in Vancouver at the time? Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean even before there was already an appreciation for good coffee. Uh when I say good coffee, it's just coffee that's roasted fresh. And, you know, if you drink it with milk, good quality milk, which Vancouver obviously, you know, has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these two elements alone, like they already had had it. I, so I feel like it was ready for it. And then, you know, Vancouver also being in the Pacific Northwest, it's so close to Seattle and Portland. And these, you know, these are uh, Vancouver's neighbors were already doing things um, that I guess were around the realms of specialty coffee. Then, you know, it really broke out afterwards. And then it, I guess like, Vancouver just came a bit later, but it was definitely ready for that. Yeah, that's where uh, Starbucks is from, right? Seattle. Oh yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, in Pike Space Market. Yeah, that's where it is from. And then yeah, they just franchised everywhere. So coffee town, Seattle is definitely a coffee town. So uh, when you identified this opportunity and you decided to come back to Manila, do you think there was a market for specialty coffee or not? Hmm, that's tough. Like um, I guess for for either specialty coffee or just you know um craft cocktails or just cocktails done well there wasn't anyone uh for either except for blind pig i remember when you were in Manila, i took you over there um and they had just opened at that time and so i would say that maybe manila wasn't ready but then you know like uh, somebody had to do it or somebody had to push it and for us it was um about time that we came into the picture like it was just right timing i feel but if you compare it to now though there's definitely a lot more interest the pie is a lot bigger for both coffee and for cocktails. So I would say the market's more ready or rather, yeah, it's it's more ready right now than it was five years ago. That's for sure. So how did you go about uh, opening your own uh, 
coffee company like would you like to talk to us through the stages on just like okay you studied in vancouver you had your working experience in shanghai you i believe at this point are set like okay you know what i want to do this in manila how did you go about it what were the steps so yeah basically what happened was i turned 25 and this was in vancouver and i said okay well what do i really want to do right so um i came up with a five-year goal and you know the first Yeah, I I definitely wanted to open a specialty coffee shop and the cocktail bar. I just didn't know where or with who or whatever. Um, by this time I had acquired some knowledge and skill. Um, I mean definitely is a bit more polished right now. So it is it is a uh, rudimentary, but you know I felt like it was something that I I wanted to do rather. So yeah, like um, first year the first year goal was to just um get my feet wet again. Like I hadn't lived in Manila for a couple of years, and then. Um, but at that time, I was also helping my father out with one of his businesses, which is actually microfinance. Mm-hmm. So a bit for it's a bit far from hospitality. Mm-hmm. So that's when um, I met a lot of uh, you know our good friends in the food and beverage industry in Manila. For some reason, the time that I went home was the same time that my partners from Curator went home. Um, you know, Erwan went home as well, mm-hmm. and then. Erwan and I, we have like these other friends who run a couple of other restaurants that are quite influential in the F and B scene. They all had just got home as well, so we were all like just starting at the same time actually. So there's a lot of like you know support and egging each other on so that we reach our goals and whatnot. So I guess that was a strong contributor. I feel eventually, like when I got home, um, after the first year, I met my partners at the curator. Uh, one is Jerickson Ko, then the other one is Bernice too, and the other one is uh, Tiffany Yu. So, like um, Jerickson though is like my better half for both the curator and also Ed's a BDG where you know you when you were in Manila, you, mm-hmm. I brought you over there. So you know, he's mine. Like he's actually really brilliant. Like uh, I'm br- like he's like a walking encyclopedia. You know, like he just absorbs everything. So super random how I met him. Like it was in a, another coffee shop called Craft Coffee Workshop. It was the first specialty coffee shop that had opened in Manila, and you know I was just sitting there minding my own business. I had my coffee, um, and then I also had some guest beans that you know I had from Hong Kong, and I was just sharing it with the barista um, who now works with us, by the way, in Ed's house, oh. our head roaster. You met <laughs> oh, him, Nico. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that was him, um, and then like I hear this guy next to me, um, you know, Jackson, talking to this other girl who happens to be our other partner, by the way, Bernice, you know, talking about. Um, how he's banned from a bubble tea store because he, um, his ginger beer that he was fermenting exploded. No so, way. Yeah. So I was like, wait, who's who is this guy? And he's talking about cocktails and stuff like that. And we're in a you know a specialty coffee shop. You know, these are things that you know I was interested in and we I had goals for. So, you know, from then on, it was just you know it was just, we just hit it off and the rest is history. Really. I guess it was meant to be, right? I f- I guess so. Yeah. I, I I I no. I definitely think it was meant to be. Like um. It was like, it's like I didn't know who I was doing it with. Like um, of course, like when you go to Manila, you, you rekindle your friendships with your friends or or even like relationships with your family and whatnot. But, you know, I'm sure you know this. Like, it's different when you meet somebody or a group of people who have the same interests. It makes things a lot easier. And I guess that was like the stepping stone into our goals, which was the curator Edsa. So the first thing you did, I guess, it was opening the actual coffee shop, which is. Uh... Yes, so it's a so the first concept that we did is called the curator coffee and cocktails, and um, even before we had this physical space, like we were already testing the concept, 
um, our first event was care of my uncle who's into fashion in the Philippines. Uh, one of the brands he carries is Fred Berry. Mm-hmm. So this year marks the sixth year that we did a Fred Berry cafe. So what happens is that for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Father's Day weekend, we would serve free coffee and sometimes bottle cocktails. There's one year where we actually did cocktails on the spot as well. So that was our first event. And we were in four Fred Berry stores. And then the following week, we had another event. And it was for this other man named JJ Yulo. And it was the same thing, you know, just testing the concept in a three-day event where we were selling coffee and cocktails. And then, yeah, like um, uh, Jackson's brother, uh, Jonathan, was a partner in this wine shop called Cyrano um, in Makati, Nagaspi Village. And, you know, they had like a small 45 square meter space that they were leasing. And that's what we occupied basically. For, so the first few months, it was like a makeshift bar, monoblock chairs and tables, pixie lights, and just like really inviting friends over and seeing, you know, whether this concept or this idea could work. Because it was, you know, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for coffee and then 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. for drinks, right? So, you know, it's... It's sort of a two two places in one, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, it, and we, you know, we didn't, we didn't. It made sense to us, um, and you know, and for us, like, we just wanted it for ourselves because you know we love to drink coffee and we you know we love cocktails as well. So it was really more for us in the beginning, and then yeah, when we were a bit more confident and you know with the space and also the concept, that's when we started working on the actual space that we have right now. But at the same time, we were already working on our other concept, which is Edsa Beverage Design Group. So Jerkson is my partner there as well. And this is where we have the roastery. Um, this is where we bottle sodas, ginger beers, and even cocktails. We started bottling cocktails after our, no, it is a, during our first year, actually. And then, yeah, now we do a, a bit of other things as well, like distillates and whatnot. So, but the, uh, what I find interesting is that you had the bar, right? And right. at this point, was the bar successful when you opened decided to open that? It's very really? slow, for sure. Like, okay. um, I, I like for the first month, three months, like we would only serve about maybe, actually, the the pilot testing before we renovated helped a lot already. So I'm not certain if we should count those months, but um, if we do count those months, like uh, the first few months, the first few real months where. And we were serving coffee and cocktails. It was like maybe 5, 15, 20, 25 maximum that we would serve in a day for both coffee and for cocktails. But then when we opened for real, um, the first month, like um, at least we were kind of established already um, in the sense of the word that people... Would know you exist, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Would know we exist because of the events that we've done Mm -hmm. for, you know, um, JJ and for my uncle and also for other people and whatnot. But um, I wouldn't say it's... It's you know it, it I wouldn't say it was busy like definitely not. So so but at this stage, considering that the bar was still in the process of establishing the, its position in the market, what made you think that Etza Beverage Group was uh, the next logical yeah. step for you? Well, for us, like we wanted to go into the production of coffee. Uh, this was the main thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, both as a, I guess as a passion project, but also as a business. Because like you know, if you're in retail, you'll know that, especially in coffee, that you need to sell a lot of coffee, you know, to make money. But then you think of the business of it and the production of it. That's you know that's where you actually make some money. And so that was the business. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, it was very important for us to do it right, which is why we looked out for different suppliers, um, even farms to work with, etc. And you know, source our beans correctly. 
And then, of course, as you saw also, uh, we tried to take care of every step, uh, which is creating profiles for roasting, for the different beans and blending, and also execution. So all of these were put into consideration. And so for us, it was a definitely natural step because we are, uh, it was a, I guess it was a different angle. So instead of retail, this is like uh, production. And, and when we do this, we're able to help a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, basically, it's people who wanted to set up their own cafes as well. So that's make you know for us like it, it was a way to grow the pie too. What uh, was the market reaction to? Not necessarily curator. We touched on that, but mm-hmm. more about the Etsy Beverage Group and your coffee roasting program. Yeah, well, the reception was. I would say there was a little bit of a buzz, just because um, we came in together with another competitor of ours. Actually, they're called Yardstick. Um, pretty much at the same time, and it is so new to Manila where you would source high quality specialty grade coffee. And when you say specialty coffee, these are grade graded eighty to a hundred from a hundred point scale system. And so, you know, it's it's not cheap, you know, like to buy these coffees, when, especially when everybody's used to commercial coffees such as Starbucks, Coffee Bean, Tea Leaf, and Settles Best and stuff. Um, so it it takes a little bit of commitment, and I think people who were in the know. Um, especially in the food and beverage scene, appreciated it a bit, and from there it kind of just became word of mouth to, I guess, futures and whatnot, and then people started taking notice of us, and only then did they partake. What were the challenges that you had uh, trying to establish yourself as a beverage uh, operator in yeah. the Philippines? So, you know, something like that, um, and you know, our space is pretty big as well. It's almost five hundred square meters. Of course, we always have to think about overhead, and when you think about overhead, meaning how much beans are we buying, how much coffee equipment are we buying, we, you know, if we buy these things, we definitely have to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so your question earlier was, was the market ready for it? My answer was, and my answer is no, just because um, people didn't know what they wanted yet. But then now though, there are definitely a lot more restaurants, for example, that are more conscious about the coffee they serve. There's a ton more, you know, specialty coffee shops. And so, I get, not only is the pie bigger, but you know we're able to move these products. So it's um it was definitely a challenge doing that, like just building it, you know, brick by brick. Um, and I feel like right now we're just at that cusp of just breaking out and you know just um having a a real boom, you know, a real coffee boom. Do you so the Philippines has the climate to produce coffee, right? Yes, we do, and also has the terroir. I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Do. So. What are you doing specifically to try to get yeah. Filipino coffee to be recognized as, as a right. leading coffee in the world? Because yeah. this is something that you're trying to do, am I correct? It is something that we support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a bit difficult um, because you know, if you're familiar with third world countries and farmers, bigger organizations kind of tempt them to sell most, if not all, of their produce at um, well, at supposedly a, a decent rate. Um, so instead of doing quality, it's more quantity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I won't name organizations, but no, no. yeah, like uh, I think it's a bit understandable. But um, so for us though, like what what we try to do is uh, when we first opened, there was another group called Calzado Coffee, mm-hmm. and it was these two girls. One is called Carmel from the US, and the other one is called Lazy. Um, and they started Calzado Coffee just by you know, having this vision of trying to promote Philippine coffee in a better light. Because when you think about Philippine coffee, it's like dark and robust and earthy and just like really bitter. Um, And so they wanted to change that mindset. So 
they came to us. They asked if you know we could help out in terms of um, sharing our facility, meaning our roastery, our bagging area, etc. You know, with them, and so we did for the first two years. And so what they did was they would explore different farming communities. Uh, one being Benguet, which is north of the Philippines, uh, and that's basically their mo- mothership. So they they built like a small processing center where farmers could deposit their beans and they would process it themselves. So now though, in the last two years, two years, uh, their beans, their special, their their coffee beans have been awarded specialty grade quality by the Specialty Coffee Association of America. So that's great. So it's it's supporting small endeavors like that. Um, cause no, cause we know that we can't do it. Like um, you know, it's pretty difficult as is already to uh, manage a retail operation as well as a roasting facility. Uh, so it would take even more resources to be on the ground on the farm and time and effort. So these guys were doing it right, and so we thought that you know it would be good to help them out. But then there are other farms as well. You know, like there's one we work with called Cocotos Estate in Davao, uh, Mount Tapo, so that's south of the Philippines. And then there's another one called Hineleban Coffee Foundation. Um, it's in Bukidnon, also in the south of the Philippines. And then there's another one up and coming uh, that's from Ifugao. So there's, Philippine coffee is rising. It's just a matter of convincing farmers to grow it properly and not to harvest it you know, when it's not ready. But then it's very difficult to tell them to do so because you know if they need money and they need to sell it, then you can't really blame them either, right? So yeah, that, that's a problem for sure. That's a, definitely a hurdle. So, you know, today we're proud to say that we finally are able to sell three Philippine origins sustainably, sustainably in the sense that we get it consistently. And, you know, and by doing this, we're able to promote it not only um, in Manila, but also when we travel. Do you think that there's a problem with the price of coffee, meaning that big companies tend to buy for such low rates that does not allow farmers to grow it the way that they want to grow it? Yeah, well... I think that I can't really speak for the farmers to be honest, but um, I would assume that if they're able to grow um, their crops all year round, then they probably wouldn't change something that's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if they're blessed with terwa and also just you know a good seedling and a good uh, product after it's been harvested, then I guess it, to me the challenge there is again not to sell it to big companies, but how much of that that goes back into improving infrastructure and irrigation, for example, I'm not very certain unless somebody else steps in. Like, mm. for example, Calzado Coffee and shows them, you know, the way. But if it's, if I, I feel like if you leave it to the farmers, they're just going to grow it and um, and then they're just going to spend for their daily needs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not an easy market because, you know, it, it's very different because you have this relationship in between you who like work with the coffee beans and people who grow the coffee beans. And there's a certain degree of disconnect because you don't own the farms and you don't have the expertise on how to do it, but you require a specific product, right? Right. So it's a big challenge, but uh, I'm I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, there's more and more, like, I guess, success stories coming up. Yeah. Like, yeah, as you mentioned. It's rising for sure. Mm -hmm. Like um, Philippine coffee is rising. Let's talk a little bit about the cocktail program in the Curator. Yeah, sure. uh, what sort of uh, drinks have you had in mind when you opened this bar? What sort of yeah. bar did you want to deliver? Right. So in the beginning, this was in um, 2013. We opened formally in December of that year. It's very straightforward. Just classic cocktails and you know our own twists on these classic cocktails. So we, do, we, we didn't really do anything crazy. We you know, we'll probably change one ingredient up. 
may it be like a uh, modifier or whatnot. Uh, we weren't thinking about distillation yet or fermentation. Maybe just rubs at that point. So it, it was very, very straightforward. We just wanted a nice atmosphere where people could drink classic cocktails or twists of these cocktails and also for us to be able to deliver our best hospitality. That was the goal. So um, that kind of transformed though, you know, the second year, the third year, and even to this day as we got better at uh, doing what we do. Um, so we started taking note of what our neighbors were doing. I mean, Singapore, even before we opened, we already visited and we already saw what the Jigger and Pony guys, the 28 Hong Kong Street guys were doing. And, you know, there are several others. And I feel like even for Singapore, they would, you know, most bars and bartenders would say that they also started a scene. So, you know, I feel like even Singapore has come a long way since then. And f- for us, like, um, having that, like, as a, a I guess, like, as a, a barometer, if you would call it, for, yeah, or, yeah. or a measure of what a bar can be Absolutely, in Asia yeah. was a huge help, I think. So that's when we started changing the way that we saw ourselves. So instead of it being for ourselves, we you know, obviously wanted it to be, um, how do you say it? We wanted people to come to Manila and see what we had to offer as well. So we work towards that. And we continue to work towards that up to this day. How important uh, was uh, for you to create the right atmosphere and how important was for you to create the right drink and how did you balance the two? Yeah. Um, so at first, like I, I gotta say, like um, maybe we're a little bit too self-righteous with um ourselves and how we wanted to uh, lead the experience. Like you know, if you look at our menu, we have some house rules. Um, I think it was the first or the second menu where we actually said that, you know, if you want beer, then you can get it lukewarm, you know, in a convenience store down the street, for nine hundred pesos. Like um. You know, we're a bit too cocky, but this is like our kind of humor. And um, so we've definitely loosened up a lot, I feel. Um, so we toned down on the seriousness. So, but not, that's not to say that we're super casual. But at the same time, like, um, you know, we just wanted to make everyone comfortable. So the experience happens like when you walk into the door, uh, when you're greeted by the staff, when you're seated down. And just like any other, you know, good bar where you have like, the menu given to you and your water never your water glass never being empty. So these were the standards in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then the drinks came, uh, to be honest, afterwards. And of course that's not to say that we didn't give thought to it. But um you know, we would take a lot of feedback actually from guests because in the beginning, like um of course what guests would always order are the classics, which is old fashioned whiskey sour negronis and it still is that case up to the, this day. But then we got better, you know, like um in terms of service where we would say, Would you like to try something else? And so we would offer um, the current menu offering or a special or maybe a drink that we were working on. And so did the customers, you know, they adjusted as well. So instead of ordering what they would normally order, they would ask, what do you think? Like, um, you know, is there something you want to serve me? So they become more adventurous as well and more open. So I would say it's like two-way. You know, it wasn't really just us thinking of like, like I get, I mean, I did mention that in the beginning, it was like us doing things for uh, us, you know, like and wanting us to drink good coffee and good cocktails. But then we transformed to it being more of like a synergy with our guests and I guess with um, our neighboring countries and just seeing what we can deliver. And to us, like, it's definitely hospitality and service first. And then just trying to push the boundaries with drinks, but not being too technical because sometimes guests can be, um, for, for the lack of a better term, like intimidated by it. 
So we try not to um, make our guests feel uncomfortable in that mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, of course. Try yeah. to break it down as much as possible. Exactly. Like um, we just stick to like. So example, it's like um, now we'll ha- if we distill something, we'll just we'll still. S- Let's say like a tomato distillate, tomato water distillate, or something. If we distill, if we distill it, we won't actually put tomato distillate. We'll just put like tomato. Then, if they're curious about the process, then we explain it to them. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's kind of like that still. Like, so um, this layer of accessibility. So exactly, can, yeah. it's very very important. So and uh, after that, uh, so I guess when you open curator at the very beginning, you were one of the first bars in the Philippines. Yes. Therefore, yeah. uh, this comes with its own challenges, right? For, sure. For instance, yeah. I'm sure staffing was an issue, yes. right? How did you go about training your staff? <clears throat> yeah. So, so in the beginning, we thought that experience actually mattered. So if you know somebody was bartending before or somebody was making coffee before, that it would be a plus. But then what we realized as we went through different interviews was that personality was even more important because these people would be extensions of us like when they face the customers um and by saying that like uh, they sh- i don't know if you know but like when you're in the philippines you have this like mamster mentality it's kind of like an inferiority complex where you know the customer is king and you know we always say this in hospitality the customer is king and it is true but it's different to you know like um look them straight into the eye and say hey welcome to my home this is what we're serving you and so that is you know what we were Trying, at, yeah, exactly yeah. and like um and so when we were hiring people we were trying to look for people who have the personality and the confidence to deliver that and not necessarily the skill because um the skill uh, aspect that's you know that's what we worked on anyway so um you know we're proud to say that uh, we have a pretty decent roster today and also like um even those who have left us you know for example over here in Singapore we have our very first bartender that we hired Uh, Yoma Rivera and you know to me like he's still one of the best bartenders you know that I look up to as well like um as a colleague you know because like he's just you know, grown so much and he's learned so much so just seeing that you know like um it's uh it's it, it gives us a hope you know even for the next person that we hire I, I guess we're you know like in a way like we're you know doing okay in terms of building a foundation and also um a future like for these people so yeah definitely like um personality first um second is like um the attitude like you know towards um the workplace and your colleagues and of course uh, the third thing is it's always about the team so if we are able to identify these three like in um a potential bartender or barista that we're interviewing then we're definitely open to training these people with or without experience so uh, let's talk about otto yes yeah. how did you come up with the idea yeah so Otto is uh, with a different set of partners. So these are actually people I grew up with. Like I've known them since I was like grade four. I was probably about nine or ten years old at that time. But we all went to a all-boys private school in the Philippines called Xavier. So two of the boys, their brothers, Miguel and Martin, um, their family owns a restaurant in the Philippines called Manhan, which is basically like a... It's, it's like Filipino-Chinese comfort food. Um, and their father, like... um. And their, you know, the father like and well, his parents, they, you know, they like to, you know, they like to entertain. So whenever we go to their house, you know, they would cook first, and then eventually we'd wind down. So we, you know, hit a few bottles of whiskeys and beers, and then eventually settled down into basically um a room where it was you know audio sound systems, you know, different turntables and vinyl records and stuff like that. 
and we're just chilling there you know and a lot of the times we weren't even talking we're just like hey can we play this next album next this or this song or whatever and like we just sit there listen and just be quiet so the idea kind of like branched out or, or the idea started from that rather it, it was inspired from that so auto means sound in japanese um and if you go there it's basically um it's a music room or a listening room rather but of course music's free so we had to attach it to a bar as well as a kitchen and that's where um i came in basically so yeah that's uh that's auto when did you guys open auto <clears throat> auto we opened two years ago last mm-hmm. january 2017 officially yes how did you go about choosing what music to play um oh we still struggle with that to this day <laughs> uh but If you look at the neighborhood where Otto is situated, it's in this neighborhood called Poblacion, which is very young and thriving. And so for sure, on a Friday and Saturday night, our music preferences would lean towards something that's a bit more mainstream. And what would be mainstream to the youth would be you know, indie rock music, hip-hop, and R&B, and that kind of thing. Maybe sometimes like you know some 90s music for both pop and hip-hop as well, and rap. Uh, just because these are the ones that are a lot more fun, people uh-huh. would want to stay, you know, and order drinks and stuff like that. But it's also music that we enjoy. But on other nights, then that's where we can experiment a little bit with the crowd, because um, they aren't usually so young. They're around, you know, my age. I'm I'm pretty old. I'm 32, so 32 and a bit older. So that's when we'd play like jazz or you know, like even like old school rock, or even like. Um, You know, I have a partner who actually enjoys techno. Okay. Yeah, so we actually have nights where it's like very, it feels like very Berlin okay, kind yeah, of yeah. electronic, you know, like um techno music and yeah, stuff. So, you know, I, personally, I find it like a bit strange, but like, um, you know, <laughs> for some people it works, you know, it, it works. But And there is a niche for it. So we like we do like to experiment with like uh, different genres. But um, ultimately, we try to make it accessible to everyone. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the main... Because you know, music is such a big aspect of bars. No, right? definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like personally, like if I went into a, a cocktail bar and they were playing techno music, I'd be like, "Yeah, there's a bit <laughs> of a disconnect there." Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, so you can't abuse it too much either. Yeah, but it's also such a jazz-dominated into industry, you know, the cocktail bar industry. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially for listening rooms. No? Like, yeah. um, when you think of like um a vinyl record shop, normally you'd think either a jazz bar or like a rock and roll bar. Like usually, that's what people associate vinyl records with. In general, when you when you, when you say it's a vinyl bar, when you were uh, so being in the Philippines comes with its own challenges. I, right. I suppose you must have had some sort of uh, issues trying to get uh, attention towards the Philippines at the very beginning, right? Ah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like um, even up to this day, to be honest. So, how did it feel when uh, you were nominated for Asia Fifty Best? Oh, it meant a lot for sure. Like um, so. Asia's 50 Best Bars has been happening since 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, fortunately, the curator has been on the list since. And, you know, like, um, it does help put the Philippines on the map. But at the same time, you know, it helps with foot traffic and the bar being busy. Um, but it was only until two years ago that Asia's 50 Best Bars actually had a physical ceremony for it. And that changed everything, I feel. Not only for us, but I, I feel for all the bars that are not necessarily on the list, but who are visiting as well. Just because you actually meet these people, you know? And before, it was like, oh, you're on the list. Please wait for this day for a live countdown on Instagram from 50 to 1. 
and everybody would have like their own like you know, screening or viewing parties in their own bars and you know um this all social media you know like everybody would like congratulate like you know if there's like 49 and this bar flashes up congratulations you know, it's like it's so live basically it, it, it was like a party on your phone but um there's something about like um the ceremony being uh uh how do you say it? like a physical engagement or a personal engagement rather that makes the world a lot smaller um so i feel like that really helped like uh, just having a physical ceremony you know in capital theater here in singapore two years in a row and meeting everybody in this one room everybody's just there but you know for us like we've been fortunate enough in you know, these last few years to travel quite a bit for guest shifts so that room was already small to begin with but it gives us a chance to nurture these relationships so you know like on you know these things like definitely help you know put i feel any country on the map what is it that helps you to get inspiration about uh, drinks and concept developments is it traveling yeah. mostly definitely traveling and also food mm-hmm. so I, well, i'm a i'm a firm believer whether it's you know uh, drinks or not that traveling makes you a better person um because you're not only exposed to you know the landscape and the city but also the people you know the language you know like um just in general the culture and in that culture and you know you have like all these different things like food and beverage art etc and i love to eat too so definitely food um and then of course like if i walk into a bar and like they're doing something that's nuts you know for example like um i remember this guest shift that um the clumsies had at mm-hmm. native and you know it's such simple drink um basically it's a banana old fashioned and you know like um at, at least for me like it's so rare that i have you know these drinks that are like when you had when you take the first it's like bang so that one for me is like it's it was like instant inspiration and basically what he did was like he just you know fermented the banana for like a month like 25 days to 30 days in <clears throat> a cabinet or a room specifically meant for fermenting and then he blended it and then he he blended it with whiskey and then just like course it through a centrifuge very simple except expensive because like not everyone can afford a centrifuge uh-huh. and then it was like just verjuice and then Yeah, I just made an old fashioned out of it, but it was just so it's so simple, but like so delicious. So stuff like that, like um, things that are I feel like mind blowing and not necessarily easily replicated because you don't really want to copy a drink, but just thinking of the process, which in this case was fermentation. Um, for other cases would be distillation, clarification, and whatnot. Um, just adding it to your toolbox and trying to refine it and make it your own. Like I feel like these are all important in inspirations, and especially for us. But definitely food, and you know when a drink comes along that just like blows your mind, you just want to learn more about it, and that's where I guess like an exchange of knowledge happens within our industry, and you know it's it's a, that's where inspiration comes from for us. I feel. You mentioned the very positive aspect of uh, guest bar shifts, which uh, is uh, you get exposed to, to different uh, bars that perhaps you wouldn't have access to if they didn't come here to Asia to you. Oh, yeah. But sure. do you think that, uh, especially here in Asia at the moment, the guest bartending mentality is a bit too much? Hmm. I would say that there... I would say that it, it's two ways. Um, so for me, the, there's definitely like a... There's a lot of positives to it. Um, especially for, let's say, a country like the Philippines where um, most bartenders for example i'm not even thinking of the drinkers and the consumers i'm thinking of the bartenders who the ones who actually do the work are not able to travel and you know try 
different drinks from bars that are already institutions or even meet bar bartenders who are supposedly rock stars, right? Um, so it's a big deal, you know, when a guy like Alex Retena comes or, you know, he did Sugo Eno um, because we're busy taking the world, you know, to Manila, to the Philippines. So in that light, it's absolutely like positive 100% and definitely not too much. So for us, like the more, for me, when I'm thinking of the Philippines, the more the merrier. Uh, just because it's instead of Philippines and you know its bartenders being one bubble, and not everybody knows what's going on outside of this bubble. Basically, the world comes and you know, it just makes everyone better. So I think it's good in that sense. Um, but then, I guess on the on the uh, on the flip side, like um, you know, if I'll just talk about myself, you know, this is like the fifth time I've been to Singapore already. Um, it might be too much actually. But you know, I, I I always love it when I'm here. You know, like from my from my perspective, like um, I enjoy, um, you know, working stints um at different bars because I get to know, um, not only these bars but the but the people behind the bars. Like um, in this trip, it's going to be more bars. So it you know it's you, it's Adrian, it's Ina, and you know it's Edu and everybody else who I just met today, and then then others and then then you know because in my opinion it's like um it's you know seeing singapore even if i've been here five years five sorry five times this time this year it's seeing singapore in a different light mm-hmm. um but f- i guess like for an industry and a consumer's point of view it can sometimes be a bit too much um especially for okay like a good example would be singapore cocktail festival um when it first started out you know for the whole week maybe there were just maybe 25 to 30 events this year do you remember how many events there were? I, I wouldn't be able to tell you on that, but I think yeah. we had one on Friday. On the first day, yeah. 30. Yeah, yeah crazy, right? Yeah. That's nuts. And I guess in that sense, it, it, it might be a bit too much because it would be difficult to see everyone and navigate through it. So, yeah, like um, I feel like uh, I do agree that um, small doses are good every now and then. But for, I guess, less developed cocktail cultures, for, for me, the more the merrier, mm-hmm. especially in the Philippines. Will there be a bar show in the Philippines at any point? Or no. is this something you're working <clears throat> towards? Um, or is this not, something that you have not considered? Well, we've uh, we've thought about it now, you know, together with um, other distributors who might be interested in hosting such an event. Um, but Cron Young, though, from the Bar Awards, is coming August 20 to 21 for the Bar Awards on tour. So it's there's no awarding for the Philippines. Instead, it's like... Um, just like a party in the Philippines, exploring the market, bringing people together, uh, industry people, and also guest bartenders from you know other countries mm-hmm. to come and do shifts. So I guess that's the closest thing we have to a bar show. But apart from that, um, the only bar show we have is Whiskey Live. Mm-hmm. That that's that's about it. But that's more that's more you know whiskey. Whiskey, yeah, right? of course. But then you know, there are some bartenders who come, like for example, last year you know Philip. And also Gab from Manhattan came. And then all the brand ambassadors, obviously, who are bartenders came as well. So it was like, um, kind of like a nice little reunion. Mm-hmm. So that's the closest thing we have to a bar show. Cool. Uh, last question I ask yeah. everyone. If you could choose your last drink, what would your last drink be? That it is... Could be oh, anything. Right now, for me, I'm a sucker for milk punches. Oh, Really? Right yeah. now, but um, normally I would answer old fashioned. Uh-huh. So any milk punch. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, for me. Cool, fantastic. Thank you very much Thank for spending the time, David. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed our interview with David. 
We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram, and you can follow our accounts at mmariotti89 for McKelly, Alex J. Murphy for myself, and Adrian Vessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.